So welcome to the Love Fly podcast. It's Paul Tizard, Vera Flying Coach for the last 25 years. And today's special guest is Professor Lucas Van Gerwen. I had, I had a fear of getting it wrong. So welcome, Lucas, and thank you so much for your time. Thanks very much for inviting me. No, I'm, I'm really excited. I've got loads of questions to ask you. But before I get into it, would you mind just telling the listeners a little bit about your background and particularly expertise around fear of flying? Yes, I'm a clinical psychologist and an aviation psychologist with a European registration. I'm a commercial pilot with an instrument rating. So I'll, uh, I know all about uh, flying itself. And I do a peer support for uh, uh, for pilots and cabin crew for airliners. That is my main background. I did my PhD on fear of flying in 2004 at the Lenin University. And uh, yeah, I devoted my whole life uh, to work with people who are afraid of flying or, or also people who have other complaints in the in aviation world, not just passengers, but also potential passengers and the cabin crew and cockpit crew. I've come across a lot of your work. I was reading up as part of my master's at the moment. And there's there's lots of questions that come up from people who are scared of flying. And with your experience, also with running your institute as well, why do people get fear of flying, in your opinion? Yeah, nobody is born with the fear of flying. It doesn't exist for, for kids younger than five years old. You can put four or three years old in a plane and uh, the only thing maybe he noticed that his mom or dad is afraid, but he don't understand why, because it's too much a cognitive problem. And so you're not born with it, but like any phobia, it starts in a period in your life that you're under stress and that you're you know, not well fit in your, in, your, in your body or that you have other complaints. And when you look at fear of flying, fear of flying by itself doesn't exist. It's a kind of hanger of all kinds of underlying uh, complaints, like claustrophobia, fear of heights, social phobia, fear of losing control, the need to stay in control, just the, to name the, the most important ones. And of course, there's a group also that's afraid of crashing, of dying. But and sometimes it can be very particular that people say, okay, I have no problem with flying, but I don't dare to fly over water of the ocean or from you to me, from, from England to Holland. So, but that's most of the time there are underlying complaints, which you have to treat as well, that people are really relaxed in an airplane. And sometimes it's, it can be kind of funny. People can have a tremendous fear of heights, but no problem in the plane. There are also pilots who have fear of heights that don't <laughs> climb the stairs you know, on the second floor. But the, they fly up to flight level 400 without any problems. You sound like you, you really, you get it. You've got a full grasp of all the different things that go on. And, and it begs a question in my head is what started your passion or curiosity to, to work in this field? I'm coming out of a family with uh, eight brothers and sisters and uh, where all have the need to travel. Mm. And I know what the pleasure of travel can be. Mm. It uh, explores your mind. It uh, brings new ideas. It uh, yeah, broadens your view. 
So I uh, think everybody in the world deserves this, this kind of feeling. When I finished my uh, uh, flying career, there was, uh, there was a period that the pilots were not needed. So at the same time, I started also to study psychology. Mm. And, uh, but I was still flying for small companies. And then I came across somebody who was afraid of flying. He said, oh, no, I, don't, I want to get out, I want to get out, I want to get out. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. I said, well, what kind of phenomena is this? So mm. and then I yeah, started reading it and I looked who's working in this field. And there were only three people working. There was a professor in Boston. There was uh, Slim Cummings. That was the first one in the United States. He was a Pan Am captain who was married with a, a psychiatrist. And there was something done in uh, uh, Israel. And that was all. Yeah. So, but there was also, there has been a an, big investigation with the Boeing factory, which shows that there are a lot of people in the United States that don't fly due to a fear of flying or, or that minimizing the amounts of, free, of flying yeah, as much as they can. So that's the moment I started to dig into this. Yeah, it never let me go. No, it's, so you're truly hooked. Absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I can relate to that. Once you've seen somebody change, it's you want to do it again, don't you? You want to see, it, you want to see the world open up for other people as well. It's such a debilitating yeah, fear. That's the good news about this uh, phobia. It has different layers, but mm. also the degree of the, the fear, of course, it's for people who don't want to board a plane at all, or people are, who are still flying, but they feel very uncomfortable. And or people drug themselves or drink too much, all kinds of different stadiums of the fear are there. But the good news is, it's a phobia that's very well able to, to get cured from. And that's the good news. So you can make people happy by helping them out. And, uh, and some people don't need a, a, a treatment from a psychologist or from an aviation psychologist. A lot of people, for them, it's enough to, to read a self-help book. I wrote a few in different languages, or, or many together also, this together with uh, Lynn Foreman from London. So uh, just to help them out, so to, to lower the step to see, okay, what do I need? Is this enough to read a self-help book or just to, uh, so, some people only ha- uh, need uh, an app on their computer that helps them out, on, on their laptop, on their phone, I mean, to help them out, to get them through a flight or to take the decision, okay, I, I'm, I'm willing to fly. And of course, when the problem is deeper, uh, then you have to uh, need treatment. It, it sounds to me like, your belief or your mindset is that everyone can get rid of this fear of flying. Yeah, it's a matter of motivation because when it's a, a very complex and deep problem with underlying trauma, mm. that's possible. Of course, it takes a lot longer. For instance, if you compare it to somebody who has never flown before and just have a little bit of claustrophobia, then you treat the claustrophobia and then he or she is able to fly. But when there are many underlying complaints, the treatment will take longer. But for everybody, there's a a, a solution. Yeah. Motivation. eh? Mm. When you are, uh, when you have this problem, when you are afraid of flying, you say, okay, but for me, it's worse than everybody else on the globe. And for me, my treatment is impossible. So it's sometimes hard to convince people that there are really possibilities for them to overcome this fear of flying. 
And even it doesn't help if you let them talk to somebody who has the same problem and as heavy as possible. But when they overcome this problem and say, okay, yeah, you can't look in my head because mine is always worse. And that's the main uh, thing what people need is to, to start working on it. They say, okay, I give it a try. That's, uh, and so no, now I'd like to go advice. back to you. Great yeah. advice. Sorry I cut across you. So most common triggers that you, in your opinion? Yeah, the most common tr- triggers is, uh, has to do with the underlying complaints. Eh? The, 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 the most underlying complaints, and there's a difference between men and, and women. It's uh, claustrophobia mm. for, for women. Of course, some uh, that doesn't mean that there are no men with claustrophobia, but there are more women with claustrophobia, more men with fear of heights. Also, uh, more uh, women with uh, the need to stay in control or the fear to lose control, that they are fainting, that they are screaming, that they are crying, or, but, and all that ideas. That's first, you have to give people a very well uh, psychoeducation of what fear really is. Every therapy is doomed to fail if you don't give a very good uh, psychoeducation about the fear itself so that people know, okay, what can happen to me? Because we have all, in the Western world, we have all kinds of strange ideas of what can happen to us uh, when we are afraid. And of course, people are fainting, but people are not fainting from fear. People can faint from many reasons. You have a, a a low blood pressure or you see blood or whatever but not from fear, but due to fear, the opposite is happening. Your heart rate is increasing, your blood pressure is rising, and with a high blood pressure, it's impossible to faint. But if you still have the idea, because due to my hyperventilating, I'm able to faint, okay, that's something you have to work before you can start telling them, okay, let's give it a try or do some exposure therapy. Yeah, there's quite a lot of education in in what you're talking about here to help people understand the particular what's possible and what's not possible with their type of fear. I was really curious about the difference between men and women. Would you mind just saying a bit more about that? Yeah, there are, actually one of my studies was I, I divided in four groups. There's a possibility to, to make four groups. Younger men uh, who are also strongly avoiders, who uh, want to stay in control and have a fear of heights. Mm. And that's a group that is the uh, most difficult one to treat. Then we have a group of men that are not avoiders, that are still flying, but they they have other underlying complaints. And the groups of women, one group of women have strong claustrophobia and a strong fear of coming uh, sick, all kinds of fainting, sick or whatever. So that's a combination of uh, claustrophobia and uh, fear of losing control over their own body. And when they start voiding, then yeah, that's really increasing. And the other group, that's younger women that are still not avoiders, but they are, have all kinds of other underlying complaints. Yeah, that's a group that's the easiest to treat. In my personal opinion, I've treated more than over 10,000 people. And there's uh, 49% 
is men and 51% is uh, women. So that's statistically not significant. But if you ask people on the street, are you afraid of flying? Uh, women are, are more easily admitting that they are afraid. As men, we, say, we prefer to say no. If you do the same in Asia, nobody says that you have a fear because you don't tell to a stranger that you are afraid of something. But there's still a habit between men and women that we prefer to deny. But when you see to the amount of people who are looking for treatment, that's equal. Yes, I've picked that up that because I've often said that, that women will report that you know, so it looks like there's more women that have a fear of flying because they will report on it. Whereas yeah, actually, more honest. yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So men will kind of hold, will not admit to it, but we still see as many come through. That's true. Mm. Yeah, that's absolutely interesting. True. So one of the things that people have been particularly struggling to give a really nice idea or some thoughts around is well two just two three anticipatory anxiety a lot of people say what can i do about that how can is there anything that can be done about that and i've and i've obviously face to face i can talk about that but as a as a group message i've always thought i'm not quite sure if there's anything simple i can say and i just wondered what your thoughts were on it yeah, that's also the, the, the group of women I'm talking about who had a strong fear of flying. They are a, a lot of anticipation fear as well. Eh? Can go, it can start a year before that they sleep mm. not good, that they eat worse, that they are angry to their and stressed through their environment because it's bordering them all the time. In their heads, they are flying every day. And it starts a week before, a year before, or the, the night before. They're already flying. And the only way they're able to look at it, that I don't feel well in the plane. That's what's going on in their mind. And what they should do, what you should teach them, is go back to the here and now. And do it in, don't make it complicated. Okay, when thoughts are bothering you about the future, I'm not able to behave well in a plane. I'm not able to feel good in the plane. Okay, where are you at this moment? Okay, I'm home. I'm laying in my bed. Next is my husband. The blankets are white. Just call out loud where you are. And so it brings you back in the moment. And then ask yourself the question, am I in this particular moment in danger? When the answer is no, because you're laying in your own bed or you're sitting at your own sofa or whatever, then it means, okay, then it's just negative thoughts about the future. Mm. And when people are able to do that, then you can start with the second step, let them do something in cognitive therapy about the negative thoughts. But the first thing is in, indeed show them it, you are just bothered by your negative thoughts about the future. You're not able to, to predict the future. The only way, you're not very creative because you all only have a negative idea about the future. Love that. That's a great tip. Thank yeah. You. What, but that's a little bit more uh, powerful if you are uh, say, okay, imagine you want to fly to, uh, for instance, from, from London to New York. Imagine that you arrived in New York and everything went well. How would you feel? fantastic i did it so that kind of mm. things okay mm. stick to that keep that in your mind and take it with you before the day before the week before whenever you get uh, bothered by this negative mm. thoughts mm. try to 
get back that image? How would you feel when you arrive in New York and standing there in the, uh, before the Empire State? Brilliant. Whatever. Brilliant. Okay. What about claustrophobia? That's the thing. Fear of enclosed spaces, wanting to get off. Yeah, when you look at claustrophobia, most of the time it goes together with that people are breathing in a different way. So they get uh, hyperventilation feelings, mm. feel dizzy in their head. And uh, uh, so that, that's combination. So you, you first you should check people have a very uh, short loop of breathing. And that can be done in a very easy way. And to give you a, a very, uh, not an abstract tip, but something people can do, you can do the following training. You should ask people to breathe in by their nose and then time when they are done and keep their breath as long as possible until you can't do it anymore. And then you surely should let it go by your mouth. And then you, when all the air is gone, okay, time again. When that time is under 50 seconds, that means there is a chance that you are hyperventilating when you are under, uh, under stress. And the second, this is, it looks about the same, you breathe, you breathe in by your nose, time, and you exhale, and take it as long as you can until you are, have no air. When that is under 45 seconds, that means when you're under stressor, the two of them is the first under 50 seconds and the second under 45 seconds, that people have a chance that they are hyperventilating. So before you are doing some exposure, if, if it's imaginary exposure or real exposure, people should first be able to do this exercise. And the good news is, maybe in the beginning, people say, I, I only have 16 sec seconds. That seems like I'm long away from this 50 seconds. When you Ask them as a homework to do it three times a day for three weeks. You will see it will the time will increase, and it it goes rapidly. And most of the time, when you do it three weeks, people are all above the fifty seconds, and with the second exercise, above the forty-five uh, seconds. And what I normally do, I don't start to do. Uh, exposure, not imaginary exposure, not real exposure, and people are not able to control this. So they have to have a feeling of control over their own breathing. Because when you do exposure and leave them long and long enough in there, yeah. they're building up another negative experience when they are <gasps> hyperventilating like this. Yeah. You don't feel yeah. good. You, me, nobody feels good when you are hyperventilating. Even not, even though nothing can happen, mm. it's not a nice feeling. Mm. But so give, the, give them this very uh, simple but very helpful, uh, but they exercise and they have to do it three times a day. And it doesn't matter. A check. You breathe in by the nose. Yeah. And when you're full of air, then you take the stopwatch. Oh. So, so the, the, the time you inhale is not important at all. Ah, right, quick right. or hard, that's not important at all. It's the time you're able to hold your breath. And after that, also the time together with exhaling by your mouth. And you should not stop. That should be a continuous flow, but very controlled. And when it's all gone, then you, you, you stop the stopwatch. And with the second exercise also, the inhaling is not important at all. 
you inhale in your own time. And when you're fully there, you immediately, you, you time, and then you start exhaling by your mouth and never stop, never do. No, you go, it has to be on continuous stream. If you do it, it doesn't work. Or if you, if you wait, no, it has to be a continuous stream. And then you have to, it has to, you have to reach 45 seconds. When you're holding your breath, how long can you do that for? To, to hold my breath? Yeah, mm-hmm. I can do it one and a half minute or something. And then the breathing out, how long, could, what, what, what can you get that to? Uh, also above a minute. Wow. Yeah. Yes, but that, that's not necessary. That's not good control. Yeah, but that's that's <laughs> but, <laughs> just showing off now. <laughs> 40, forty-five minutes is forty-five seconds. Sorry, is yeah. not no, no minutes. Uh, forty-five seconds. That'd be impressive. Yeah, uh, fifty seconds. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's, that's really that's, good. That's, that's, but mo- normally people who are a hyperventilator start around fifteen or twenty mm. seconds and say, "Oh, now I, I can't do it any longer." But yeah. it's training. But the good news is, you see, will you will see a lot of improvement after three weeks already and the funny thing is people say i feel better only by this small exercise you don't have to do complicated therapy but you have to do it three times a day and go for it yeah you have a name for this technique of yours just an an, an exercise uh, to kill your uh your your hyperventilation mood yeah You you should not do this exercise at the moment, you're hyperventilating. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Now, it's something to prevent the hyperventilation. When you are in a hyperventilation mood, yeah, the best thing you can do is open the Fear of Flying app Pro and follow your breathing by the, by the sign or do it together, you as a therapist, and say, okay, now I want you to inhale, keep your breath for three seconds, and now we exhale. Keep it for three seconds before we inhale again, just to slow them down. That's what you're doing during, uh, at the moment, somebody is uh, hyperventilating. But the other two exercises are just to prevent that you're getting in the mood of uh, hyperventilating. What I like about that, Lucas, is there's a kind of a longer term approach. And it's something I believe, because I've, I've ran... For 20 odd years, I ran these one day courses with a flight at the end, which, as you know, is can be quite helpful. But it's I always used to say then it's got to be part of a process. uh, I don't do that now, but I always used to think when people used to come on that and say, that's it, I'm sorted. I I always always wanted to run after and say, well, how did it work exactly? Because I don't I was a big I was a big disbeliever in the one day magic course. I've much more, I think, with things that I've improved in myself, it's always taken me longer. It's never done in the day. So I think it's a, it's a process. And I get the sense of that with that exercise there that you've already talked about, you know, do this for three weeks. Then you're talking about doing something else with them. So which brings me on to treatments. In your yeah, opinion, what your best, what the best treatments are, what sort of stuff do you do? Yeah, you're talking about a one-day course or a two-day course, huh? I never let people go into such a course when they are not able to uh, do this prevention training to hyperventilate. Yeah, yeah. They have to have some control over their own body. So when we're talking about a group course, there should be good psychoeducation about fear itself, explaining them what fear is. 
There should be uh, education about flying. People have all kinds of strange ideas that uh, planes are falling out of the air during turbulence or whatever. So you need to provide them the information they need. So for some people, it's quite complex why a plane can stay up in the air. A machine of 400,000 kilos, how can it stay up in the air? When I drop my air phone, it will never stay in the air. So, so for sometimes, for those people, we should make it clear. And then uh, one important step also in a training course, my advice, always do an imaginary training. That people sit, do a relaxation exercise, let them close their eyes, and in an imaginary way, let them do the whole from, from pre-boarding to boarding, takeoff, and uh, the cruise flight with turbulence, descending, landing. And also that uh, you check all the time, okay, how does it go? How do you feel? And if you don't feel, say, okay, I don't feel well. Okay, where do you feel it in your body? Where do you feel muscle tension? Where is your breathing? Is it here or is it here? So that's immediately act upon it. Do something. And after that, of course, the last step is the real exposure. Yes, together with uh, somebody they trust, with a therapist, or yeah, make the flight. I mean, I like the way you're building up to it there. It's a process. I wonder if you had a view. Could, so the, the reason I'm asking this is, over the years, I've seen lots of different things appear. So I've seen CBT come and it's stayed. I've also seen the virtual reality exposure therapy coming in more. I've seen a few other things sort of pop up. And I wondered if you had a view in all the different therapies and what, what works best. Yes, I worked with everything. Hypnotherapy, virtual reality. And it's, there is not one treatment that works best for all except the final step, the exposure. Mm. But people should build an idea, okay, I'm able to do this. Yes. I'm building up a good experience. So that's so exp- important. But the way how to get her can vary from person to person. If you look at virtual reality, it works for less than 60% of the people. For some people, even if you, you have glasses as well, some people have... Uh, they get dizzy from virtual reality and when you don't have a feeling during virtual reality that uh, this is not real it's, it's not therapy or if you can't to take the step okay i'm working on then imaginary exposure is stronger and uh, then the virtual reality so but you have to look what fits for one person and what for the other yeah, when we look at virtual reality, some people claim very high, fantastic results. I think it should be the whole package. And like I said, the most powerful thing is always some people did it and say, okay, I'm able to, to, to do this. Yes. That's the most powerful, uh, so the real uh, exposure to a real flight. And everything in between can help just to go to a stationary plane to, to let people just... Uh, walk around the plane, sit in a stationary plane, or everything can help, but you should, they need continuously coaching. Eh? Okay, are you okay? And if not, what are you doing? Act upon it, do something. Make it, are you in danger at this particular moment? No? Okay, but you don't feel good. Why? Okay, it's just because you have negative thoughts about the future. So let's get back to the here and now.
We're just in a stationary plane. Control your body. Take control over the things you are able to control. And don't try to control like a god the future. Now you only have control over one thing, and that's yourself in a very simple way. That's your way of breathing and your muscle tension and nothing more. You have no power over the incoming thoughts. They can be negative, they can be about the future, they can be about the past, but they give a reaction in your body. Yes. And, and the, over this reaction, you can gain power. You can do something about it, but not about the incoming thoughts. So just let them come like that, a cloud that's passing in an aircraft. Love that. Yeah. That's really good. So the institute that you run, you tell us a bit about that. I mean, if you've got a couple of books out, feel free to plug them. People have read them. I've read one of yours a while ago. I also met Elaine many, many okay. years ago. Uh, she, and she's still out doing her freedom, freedom to fly, is it? I think her freedom to fly, yeah. Yeah, her business, yeah. So there are people out there, professionals that can help, uh, such as yourself and Elaine in London. But just tell us a little bit about the work you're doing now, where you're based, who you help, anything anything you want to plug, basically. Yes, uh, like I told you, I started... No off, modesty. <laughs> I, I started off as a, as a, as a pilot. Eh? When I had my uh, license, there was a, a dip in the aviation world. So what I did, I started uh, board, Pilots Without Borders in Holland. Actually, a French name, Aviation Sans Frontières, like Medicine Sans Frontières. It was already existing in France and in Belgium, and now it's a lot more countries. It's in Luxembourg and Germany. And I started this in Holland, so I did a lot of flying in Africa. At, uh, when I started to study psychology, uh, yes, yeah, so when I got in, in contact with uh, the, the fearful flyers, I said, okay, something should be done in a broader way. So I contacted KLM and the uh, Schiphol Airport to combine our forces and together with University of Leiden. Before that, I had wrote, written my first book. So I was invited to give speeches all around uh, the Netherlands for people. So I met, my network was increasing. And that's how I came in contact with the dean of the uh, University of Leiden. And uh, so we combined the Leiden University and Schiphol Airport and the KLM. And later on, there was also Martin Air and Transavia involved. So actually all Dutch airliners. And uh, we did three years of investigation together with the University of Leiden to see what's the best possible treatment. How can we help people out? And it was on a voluntary basis that people came in and that was paid by KLM. And after three years, we created the foundation now, which now exists for already for 33 years. And I'm retired from this foundation. Oh, yeah, okay. Yes, but what I do now, I still help people out. And people who call me direct, I help them out, of course. But I mainly do peer support, peer support for cabin crew and cockpit, and cockpit crew. And I also do some work to help it out too. It's EASA said it's ob obligation to have peer support in Europe. But it does not exist in Africa. So they asked me in Africa to, to see if there is a possibility to start it up as well. So I do some work in, uh, in Africa for trying to, to see if we can get peer support from the ground. But I still help pilots out 
who have uh, complaints and uh, the Volk, the Volk, is it Volk Foundation yeah. are still going, and you've got an app as well. I remember that when that came out. Yeah, and uh, so people can access that. Uh, yeah, just called Fear of Flying uh, app. Mm. Yeah, yeah, okay. Oh no, sorry, called Flight app, Flight app Pro. Then you can see all the exercises also. Brilliant. Yeah, that's yeah. useful. So, so if I've just could plug you for one last top tip then people listen to this they're not this they're thinking oh yeah but i've got the worst type of fear i'll never get over it i'm stuck with this what would your advice be to to them okay i understand them very well and i know that fear is not a pleasant feeling at all and it's hard for you to to look over that psychological horizon that you are able to overcome to conquer your fear of fear anyhow uh, because you say okay I, for me it's the worst and it's bothering me for such a long time take the step that would be my first advice take the step and see where you can get look for help and maybe if that's too too much for you read a book so just don't tell anybody just read a book and see what it can do for you mm-hmm. and maybe there's a small glance that people that, that, that you think, okay, for me, it's possible, also a possibility. So never, ever give up because you don't have to live with this fear. That's my advice. That's great advice. What do you think the future fear of flying treatments will look like? Yeah, now Corona is almost over. Let's hope eh? So flying is becoming uh, kind of normal again. There are still a lot of people with underlying complaints because there's a lot of stresses and also people get depressed from what's going on in Ukraine. Mm. And Mm. so all kinds of things that are borderless. So there will be fear of flying always. It would never stop. And uh, because when you have a period in your life that you're not well fitting in your psychological Yama, <laughs> or you're stressed by whatever reason. So there's there will always be be fear. So it will be always be necessary to help people out. And the more easily as therapists are uh, have a, don't make the step too big to 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 contact you. Just uh, be open, share, and uh, let's see that you're able to help. And uh, and I like to do the same. And so I love what you are doing, that you want to f- feel that people feel that com- there can be a love of flying instead of a hate of flying. Thank you. Well, we wanted to do something which was you know, the positive side. So aviation has been amazing to me. I think it's given me so many opportunities and stuff. And we wanted to broaden it out, not just talk about fear of flying, but to also talk about love of flying and all the things that it opens up, the opportunities, the life choices. Freedom. Freedom, exactly. Yeah, so, oh, thank you. Professor Van Gerwen, thank you very, very much. That was awesome. There's some really great nuggets in there for people who are going to listen to this and some really practical things as well, which I'm I'm very grateful to you for. So thank you ever so much. With pleasure.